Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are um, thankful for the privilege it is to be here, or even online. Thank you for the technology we have to listen to your word and to learn from it. And we pray, Father, that you would also convict us through this challenging message this evening. Um, convict us, but also show us Christ, Father. And um, we pray that you would change us and turn our hearts to Christ uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine the following scene. You are driving in your car on a small road in the outback of Australia, somewhere on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. And then suddenly there's a cloud, um, a cloud of dust, and it's growing bigger and bigger. And then there's a car coming towards you, and suddenly you realize what it's all about. Because this car is one of these pilot cars with a big sign on it. And it says, oversized vehicle. Or it might, might say even road train ahead. You know, it's one of these pilot cars which tells you that something big, something huge is coming. And this pilot car is pointing away from itself. And it's like a, it's like a wheel uh, it's like a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a warning sign on wheels. And it says, clear the way for the huge thing that's coming. And this pilot car is exactly like John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. But his message is not oversized vehicle or road train ahead. No, his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And so today our main part we'll actually be looking at this message, at this message of John the Baptist and at his ministry. And we will see along the way, I will point out multiple marks of his ministry and message. And we will see why we still need to hear John's message today. And then finally, we will be looking at this big question that arises from the end of our passage today. The question is, why does Jesus need to be baptized by John? So first, let's have a look closer, a closer look at John and his message. Well, see, John the Presbyterian, I, I mean, John the Baptist, uh, I'm apparently known for getting this wrong, but uh, John is a rough guy. He's probably someone who you would feel uncomfortable having at church tonight. Because have a look at verse 4, how he's described. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had leather leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. He's like a hermit, living in the wilderness, eating insects and wild honey. Not like the honey you're getting from woolies and colds these days. Now he's more like a bear, eating wild honey, putting his fingers into the rocks and the tree holes where the bees are. John is a wild guy. But this raises one interesting question. Why would people go out into the wilderness to such a person? Why would they all come from Jerusalem, from all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan? Why would they flock to a person such as him? The short answer is because he has a message from God. And this message from God, it was scripture based. And it was actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament. 
That's the first mark of his message. But to explain this more fully, we have to understand that when John started his ministry, God had been silent for more than 400 years. And because last time God spoke was actually through the prophet Malachi. And that's why Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. And back then, hundreds of years before John the Baptist, Malachi prophesied then saying this. Listen to this. He says, Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Sounds familiar, like our passage, right? But then at the end of the book of Malachi, he prophesies this. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will do what? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi is speaking of someone who will come and change the hearts of the people to turn them around. But he's also speaking of destruction. You see, that's the last words in your Old Testament. And then more than 400 years later, suddenly this guy, John the Baptist, appears in the wilderness and people start flocking to him like to a rock concert in the desert. Why? It's because the people were waiting for someone like Elijah. They were waiting for a fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. And they were waiting for an Old Testament prophet. And you see, John is exactly that. He's the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. He is this messenger from God. He looks like Elijah. He eats like Elijah. And he probably smells like Elijah too. But more importantly, he also preaches like an Old Testament prophet. Calling the people to repentance. His message is a message from God. And it's scripture based. Do you see that in verses 2 and 3? He says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight path for him. John is quoting two prophets from the scripture here. He's, he's, he's quoting Isaiah and Malachi to make his point. He says, I am that voice crying in the wilderness. I am God's messenger and I call you to repentance. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so people start to flock to him from Jerusalem, from all Judea, from the whole region of the Jordan, we read in verse 5. Because God was speaking again to his people through his prophet. And scripture was fulfilled right in front of their eyes. So John's message was scripture based and the fulfillment of it. That's one mark of it. But it was also bold and convicting and it led people to action. Because those crowds who came to John, they were doing what? Have a look at verse 6. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now this baptism was a baptism of repentance, which is different from our baptism today. Normally a baptism at this time was only for Gentiles. Because Gentiles were seen as unclean. And in order to convert to become a Jew, these Gentiles, they were baptized with water. But what's fascinating about John's message is he calls Jews to repentance and to be baptized. Remember, they come from Jerusalem and from Judea. 
And this was unheard of. And it must have been offensive to them. He said, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, because you all need to repent in light of what's coming. You need to be cleansed from your sins, no matter where you grew up, from where your family line comes from. You see, John's preaching is actually convicting and bold. He says, repent. And he's not just speaking or lecturing before them. No, John is preaching to them. He's preaching directly to their hearts. And his words are like darts that are targeted at the hearts of the people. Just like Malachi prophesies, John's message is turning hearts. It's bold, convicting, and leads people to action. But what does repentance actually mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, and then you continue on with life. That's not repentance. To repent means that you're stopped in your way and you turn. Because God's word penetrates our minds, our hearts, and our wills. First, it starts in our mind with a recognition, a conviction of the ugliness of sin that is within us. It penetrates our minds. And secondly, there's a confession of these sins to God. It's a, it's a cry that comes from the heart. It's a heart cry for His mercy and forgiveness, for the cleansing of our hearts. It penetrates our hearts. And then thirdly, it's turning away from the sin and towards God in faith. These are the fruits of repentance, a genuine change of life for God, because God's word penetrates your will and leads to action. And that's exactly what we see with these Jews coming to John in the wilderness. They repent, confess their sins, and get baptized by John, even though they are Jews. Because John's message was so convicting, it was penetrating their minds, their hearts, and their wills. And it led them to action. They made a U-turn in their life, And wanted to live in a right relationship with God. Preparing the way for the Lord. Removing all the obstacles in the way in their hearts. But there were also others, many others, who didn't like John's preaching. The Pharisees and Sadducees. And they entered the scene in verse 7, you see that. And John calls them brood of vipers. Who want you to flee from the coming wrath? John says. He was definitely bold and didn't hold back. Imagine you say that today to someone. That would probably be classified as hate speech. You see, these learned teachers of the Old Testament, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they knew what repentance is, but they didn't practice it. They thought they could rely on their genealogy. Being descendants of Abraham, they thought, surely we are God's people. We are chosen by God. We can't be compared to these dirty, unclean Gentiles. But John knows their thoughts and he calls them to repentance as well. Have a look at verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our fathers. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. They didn't produce any fruits of keeping with repentance. 
You see, repentance is not a one-off thing we do when we become a Christian. Repentance is ongoing. It's what we do as Christians regularly. And it will produce fruit. And so let me ask you, what about you? Who are Christians? Do you produce fruits of repentance? What happens when you hear the word of God preached to you in a sermon? Does it penetrate your mind, your heart and your will? Does it lead you to action? Or do you go about your life after that as if you just heard another TED talk? You see, every doctrine in the Bible has a meaning for our life. Whether that's the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the Trinity, or the doctrine of repentance, God never gives us just a doctrine for entertainment or mere knowledge. But what He gives us is information. Rather, it's revelation that leads to transformation. Have you experienced that in your hearts? Is God at work in your hearts? Or are you more like these teachers of the law? You see, because they had an excuse. They think they were special. They had privileges coming from the line of Abraham. And even today, some people think along these lines. They say, oh, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I heard people saying that to me as their testimony. And... Frankly speaking, that was all of their testimony. Growing up in a Christian home was at the heart of it. Maybe you have never heard this before, that growing up in a Christian home will not save you from the wrath to come. If that's you today, I have a message from God for you. You need to repent. You need to be born again. And come before God in repentance and faith. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because He is the only one who can save you. And it doesn't matter where you come from, where you grew up, or who you know. If you haven't repented ever in your life before God for your sins, then you are in big trouble. In the same trouble these teachers of the law were in. And this brings us to another mark of John's message. It's not only scripture-based, convicting, bold, and leads people to action, but it also comes with urgency. In verse 7, he warns of the coming wrath. The idea here is that this wrath of God is imminent. It can come any time. And in verse 10, he says, The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is talking about God's wrath that is coming. Are you prepared for that? The axe is already at the root, ready to destroy the tree, to cut it off from life and throw it into the fire. There's urgency in that message. And the winnowing fork in verse 12, where is it? Is it somewhere in the shed? Have a look at verse 12. No, it's already in the hand of Christ, ready to judge the living and the dead. Are you ready for that? Are you living your light, your life in light of Christ's return? Remember that pilot car on the road train? Today's message is just like that. It's a warning for all of us. 
Because if you're on the wrong side of the road, when this car comes, this road train, if it, it will hit you with full force. And believe me, if you're hit by a road train, it doesn't matter what car you're driving. This will be utter destruction. That's what it means to be under God's wrath. To be thrown into the fire, says John, to be punished with unquenchable fire. That's eternal damnation, eternal punishment. God's wrath could come any time. You could leave this building and be literally hit by a car tonight. It's not very un... Uh, I mean, you could imagine that with the weather outside. But if you're not right with God in that very moment, you will spend your eternity in hell. You see, there's urgency in the gospel. So come to Christ. Run to Christ with repentance and faith. Take refuge in Him. But you might say, but Reich, haven't we just heard that John the Baptist is an Old Testament preacher? And this idea of an angry God, this wrath of God and repentance, isn't that different from the New Testament? Isn't the New Testament all about love instead of repentance and judgment? Well, first of all, God doesn't change. He's the same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And to tell someone about the coming of God's wrath, like John the Baptist did, and by the way, all the Old Testament prophets were doing the same thing. But doing that is actually showing God's love. God has shown His love through His prophets all the time in the Old Testament. Warning His people was always in their best interest. You see, God is not cruel, but gracious. Not eager to punish, but long-suffering. Bearing with our sins so long, he's constantly holding out these warning signs for us. And the Old Testament is full of it. But let's have a closer look at the New Testament for a second. What are the first words of Jesus when he starts his ministry? It's right there in the next chapter. It's probably on the next page in your Bibles. Have a look at it. Matthew 4.17 From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's exactly the same message that John preached. And what about Peter, the great apostle? In his great sermon in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost, he didn't even get to the end of his message. His message was so convicting, so full of urgency, he didn't have to make an altar call. Now the people were, who heard his sermon, they were cut to the heart. They were trembling. So much so that they were interrupting his sermon. And they asked, what shall we do? And the answer, let me read it to you. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what about Paul? What did he preach to the Greeks in Athens in Acts 17? Let me read it to you. He said, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. He's, he, he, what Paul means, he is the ignorance of them for God. But now listen to this. He says, but now God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. You see, the call of repentance because of God's coming wrath, it's everywhere in the New Testament. It's saturated with it. Even some of the last words of Jesus in the book of Revelation when he talks to the churches, 
to Christians, what is he commanding them again and again to do? You guessed it. Repent. Have a look at this, Revelation 3.3. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. He says that to the church. I hope you can see that the message of John the Baptist is still applicable to us today. Repentance is an ongoing mark in a Christian life because we keep on sinning. But there's one thing we have to understand and remember. Repentance never comes alone. True repentance is always connected to faith. Without faith, there is no repentance. In the same way that faith is a gift of God, so repentance is also a gift of God. So that means we can't tap ourselves on the shoulders when we repent. Because it's a gift of God. It's only by God's grace that we can do it. Repentance and faith, they always are grounded in and are pointing to Christ. And this brings us to the last mark of John's message. John's message is scripture-based, bold, convicting. It leads to action. It comes with urgency. But it's also Christ-centered. Like that pilot car. In front of the road train, John is always pointing away from himself and is pointing towards Christ. You see this in verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water of repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What John says here is quite remarkable. Because Jesus said about John, that he is one, he's the one among those born of women. There has, uh, sorry, he says, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus says about him, how great he is. But John says in our passage, I'm nothing compared to Jesus. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. That gives you an idea of how great Jesus truly is. John points to Christ's majesty, to his power, his holiness. John is preaching not himself. He's preaching Christ. And his message is Christ-centered. But that raises one big question and brings us to the last point for today. Jesus being so powerful, majestic and holy without sin... Why does he need to be baptized by John? By John with a baptism of repentance. Well, let's have a look at it. In verse 13, there comes Jesus entering the scene. And all the spotlight is on him now. No mention of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the crowns anymore. No, all the spotlight is on Jesus. It's all about him now. So imagine the scene at the Jordan River. Jesus standing there right in front of John. He looks him into the eyes and he says, I want to be baptized by you. We can only imagine what it must have been like to look at Jesus, the Son of God, to look him into the eyes. God in human flesh who was without blemish, without any sin, looking at Christ, looking at the perfect imprint and radiance of God's glory. So John looks at him, 
And all he can utter in this moment is, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. You see, standing in the very presence of God made John aware of how unworthy he is. It made him aware of his sinfulness, that John himself needs to repent, that he himself needs to be baptized by Jesus. But now the unthinkable happens. Have a look at verse 15. Jesus replied, Let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and in that very moment heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Why was Jesus baptized by John? Well, we just heard the answer in verse 15. It was to fulfill all righteousness. But what does that mean? Well, it means that when Jesus was baptized, he indeed confessed sin. He repented for sin. He sought remission for sin and he turned to God in faith. He turned to his father, but not for himself. Because he was without sin. No, he did this for you and for me. He did this for our sins. He humbled himself in, in, in human form and repented on our behalf. To fulfill all righteousness means that Christ showed his obedience to the Father in this very moment. But this was just the beginning of his earthly ministry. He continued to humble himself and he went to the cross to die for your sins. And after three days he was raised and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father. So that whoever believes in him will not perish. Does not have to face God's wrath and anger. But have everlasting life. And this ministry that will lead him to the cross. To our salvation in him. This ministry starts right here at his baptism. And it's confirmed and sealed by no one less than the triune God himself. Do you see that? All members of the Trinity are involved. The Father who speaks from heaven, the Son who was just baptized, and the Spirit who descends from heaven. John said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but now heaven is opened. And the Spirit descends onto Christ. And the Father proclaims, this is my Son, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and my son, he is the king of it. And he's here right now. He has broken through the heavens, took on human flesh, and is now with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, whom the angels were talking about. The king, the Magus, worshipped. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the king of the Old Testament that the Old Testament was looking forward to all the time. And it's right here, after John's baptism, that this king gets anointed with the Holy Spirit. It's Christ's inauguration ceremony. And God the Father says, He is my Son whom I love, and not just with, but literally in Him, I'm well pleased. This has a profound meaning for us here today at Kenmore. Because there is one echo of the Psalm 2 as well. 
God says, kiss the son, blessed are those who take refuge in him. You see, because if you are in him, I'm well pleased, says God. In God's son, there's no sign of God's wrath or anger anymore. No, in Christ, there's peace with God. There's forgiveness for our sins. Being in Christ is what makes repentance actually work. Do you realize that? It's not about what we have done, but it's about Christ who fulfilled all righteousness. And if we are in him, God is pleased with us too. That's why we can come before God, repent and be forgiven. Because in Christ there is God's love. The love for the fa- of the Father for the eternal Son. And as an extension, the love for us as the children of God who are in Christ. So you see, to close, the message of warning, this pilot car that's warning us of the road train, it has actually changed, right? From a warning to hope. If you are in Christ, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That message is now a message of hope and comfort to us. Because we know the one who follows this pilot car. It's Christ, our Lord and Savior, our King. And we know what his kingdom is like. We have seen the glory and beauty of his kingdom in his ministry, in his word. The healing, the miracles, the defeat of evil and death. You see, the same God is still at work with us right now. Even in this broken world right now. This world full of floods, chaos, war, destruction and disease. Even in such a broken world, we continue to see the power of the gospel. Turning and transforming hearts. Leading people to repentance and faith. And we continue to see Christ's kingdom in his church. In the life of our brothers and sisters, their love for God. The compassion, the kindness, the love for one another. These are the fruits, but multiply all that by infinity and you will know what the kingdom of God is really like. That's what is at hand. That's the hope we have as Christians. And that's why what lies ahead of us when Christ will return. But until then, let's proclaim his message. His good news with urgency. Let's be bold, scripture-based, convicting, and Christ-centered as John was. So that by God's grace, many will be plucked out of the fire. And in ourself, let's keep producing fruits of repentance. And live a life for the glory of God alone. In the light of Christ's return. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful, that your gospel has the power unto salvation to everyone who believes, and that this warning has turned to hope for us. And Father, we pray that if this message is a message that someone has heard for the first time, or that it's the first time that really worked in the heart of someone, we pray, Father, have mercy on them and let them Turn to Christ. And for us, Father, we pray that we continue to produce fruits of repentance. Not for ourselves, but we ask this for your glory, Father. And in Jesus' name, Amen.